our parents come from a generation where the argument is about who's going to join whose reality or whose version of reality, right? And so then if you're bringing a, a concern or a complaint or, you know, something that harmed you when you were a kid, it's important to remember that most people are in a conventional mindset are going to be receiving that information, thinking that you're attacking the story that they remember of, you know, their version of reality. And so I think it's, if you're going to try to have success in these kind of conversations, I think it's so important to set it up properly. So you're not going to be arguing about reality with your parent. Welcome to the Art of We, the podcast where we explore how committed partnerships can be potent vehicles for fully delivering our gifts to the world. Hi, I'm Krista Vanderveer, a seasoned consultant and executive coach. And I'm Dr. Will Vanderveer, a leader and educator in integrative mental health and wellness. As husband and wife and business partners, we keep learning that the key to maximizing our authenticity and impact in the world lies inside the health, security, and depth of our relationship. On this show, we'll pull back the curtains to share lessons, insights, and practices from our own marriage and professional careers that help us thrive. If you're a leader, founder, or overachiever, and you want to leverage your relationships for personal and collective growth, then you're in the right place. Welcome to episode 41 of the Art of We podcast. We have a juicy topic to get into today, which is when to have a difficult conversation with your family of origin, your siblings, your parents. All of us have things that we experienced when we were younger that impacted us in certain ways. And one question that we've been pondering a lot lately, a lot lately is when would we choose to go back to our cared for family members and have a difficult conversation about things that happened a long time ago and when not to do that? Right. Or even are happening currently and feels like a challenging conversation to talk about and to dive in with family members. Right. So I think maybe a good starting point is thinking about, I think probably a lot of people listening to this podcast can relate to the concept that our parents grew up in a different generation where there were different kinds of relationship expectations, different cultural norms. And if you grew up in a family like me, then you have parents who didn't maybe talk about relationship as much as at least you and I do. Yeah things are very different with each generation. I think that's important to acknowledge. And I also think that probably the up to is different with each individual family. And also maybe even generationally, there's a theme too. But like I know with my imagining back into the 1960s, there was probably a very different up to inside of relationship, I think, than there might be today. Yeah, there were a lot of things were different, right? One One thing is even the diagnostic category of PTSD was not existent. Mm. If you can imagine that. There was a label called shell shock for people who came back from World War II who were impacted in different ways from combat, but there really wasn't a good concept of PTSD until after the Vietnam War. So that was a big shift. Mm -hmm. There was no attachment theory until the 1970s. Imagine a world without attachment theory. Uh, right, totally. We geek out on that all the time, so we <laughs> it's kind of hard to imagine. <laughs> yeah, or even parts work inside a relationship, having that tool. There were so many less tools relationally than we have today. Right, and there were people who grew up in families where the transmission of, let's say, 
warm, connected, healthy holding for children was preserved. But for many people, I just want to paint a little bit more of the context. There was a, I think he was a pediatrician named Dr. Spock. Not Dr. Spock from Star Trek, but an actual Dr. Spock who... That's cool that he had that name. (laughs) It's kind of fitting that he had that name because his message to parents was that children should cry it out in the crib. And that this was also in the time in the 60s where breastfeeding was really questioned about whether it was good for babies or not. Wow. And on top of that, to make things even more worse, if you will, this kind of blew me away when I learned about this in medical school, that in the 1960s and before that, there was a theory or a perspective that infants couldn't feel pain the way children and adults feel pain. And oh so my gosh, that's there so was a horrible. long tradition. Yeah. Wow. It's kind of, in, it's inconceivable to us today, but there were many surgeries that happened on infants without anesthesia because there was a concept that they didn't feel pain. Oh my gosh. Unbelievable. Or not, at least not in the same way. So obviously from today we look back and this can happen at any point in history where we look back at history and we judge the past and we say, you know, going to war, for example, to kill the other tribe and protect your own tribe. You know, what a bunch of assholes that did that. Mm. You know, we can judge looking back and say, man, that's not very evolved. But, you know, if we have enough generosity to rewind the tape and put ourselves back in, in a time where maybe that was as good as it got and maybe that was incredibly honorable. Well, and if we relate it back to our parents, for example, and our families and how they raised us and how they related to us or didn't relate to us. I think that's the also a really good example of bringing generosity and compassion to what they've been, what they were navigating. Right. And how they were taught. Right. And so for me, it goes back into this place you and I talk about a lot, which is the difference between impact and intention. Yes. And for my part, my mom studied early child development in college. I don't know if it gets any deeper than that in terms of a commitment to try to be the best mom she could be. Like she was all about learning Mm -hmm. and growing and how to be there for us as children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Incredibly committed. And if you've heard previous episodes, and my mom has, and, you know, (laughs) didn't like some of the things she's heard me say on here, there was impact sometimes of things that happened. So I guess it's important to start this episode with a little bit of a disclaimer that 99% of the time, I think parental choices or behaviors are not intentionally negative or harmful or trying to cause harm. I mean, there might be moments and I've had a moment or two for sure as a parent where I got really triggered and angry and did something. But in general, the intention is good. Like you want your kid to have a good life. Yeah, and I think it's also important to call out the culture of different families. There's always a type of culture that gets created that inside of that family might seem like the norm. And everybody learns how to operate within within that culture. Otherwise, they might, you know, get into trouble or they might be spanked or, you know, like there's consequences if we act outside the culture of our families. Right. And even with the cultures that are created, there's always, in my assumption, a positive intent to create a positive culture. And then it relies on, okay, well, how how did our parents, how were our parents treated by their family? What did they learn about 
both culture and skill and relationship that they took on and that they thought was the pathway forward for their family or that they really didn't like. So they wanted to create something very different in their family. And I think it's also just being really sensitive to, again, to the culture in which everybody's swimming in and may not have the awareness that there's other types of avenues or ways of doing things that could be healthier, that could be more skillful, that could create more joy and connection. Yeah, absolutely. And another dimension to consider in this conversation is what happens when we as a children perceive that our nuclear family is dealing with challenges that are not, that don't seem to be challenges in other homes. So, you know, for example, like if you're growing up in a family where one of the parents is addicted to, let's say alcohol, for example, which is a common phenomenon, but your senses or your observation is that in other families, the parents are not dealing with that. Mm -hmm. That sense of difference can be really intense for children, which makes me wonder, you know, is it also challenging for the child who is in a home where the parents are sober, but all the, all of your friends, parents drink, you know, and what's that like? Right. Right. For that child. (laughs) Well, I feel like, and tell me if this was your case, but I felt like no matter what my family was like or what they did, I always had judgment about that were like, we're the odd ones, you know, like yeah, <laughs> everybody else totally. has, has the cool parents, you know, and ours are like weird and over restrictive or whatever the, the judgment was. Definitely. I mean, that was probably one of the biggest complaints that my daughter Sophie had about me and her mom as parents was y'all are weird. Like, mm-hmm. why are you so weird? Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's so funny. So if we go back to the topic of the podcast, part of the conversation here is when do we decide to actually navigate challenging conversations with hopes of having a deeper, more connected relationship with our family of origin? And when do we not do that? And I, it's obviously very different for everybody. I, like I, we have a girlfriend who she's so inspiring around this in terms of her stand for a really healthy family system for, you know, choosing to go to therapy with her family, like really getting in there with them and doing some major healing, lineage healing, relationship healing. It's so inspiring. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, there's people who are like, you know what? I, we're fine. I don't feel like I need to ruffle the feathers. Everybody's just kind of going along to get along. Our culture is that we don't address issues and I'm not interested in taking that on. Or maybe there's probably even more of a spectrum, another end of the spectrum where it's like, I'm not even in contact with my family and we don't talk to each other at all. So that's probably the opposite end of the the example of our girlfriend. Right. Well, you and I both have parents who are living. So we still have that opportunity if we want to exercise the opportunity. So I would like to ask you some questions about that. And (laughs) But first, maybe I'll just share, because I went through a pretty intense time with my dad when I was in my 20s. And uh, maybe that would be good to share here. Yeah, let's let's have you share that. Let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll start with that because that's a really fascinating story, really inspiring story. Okay, we'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this episode. I want to take a quick break to let you know about a gift we created for you and your partner. We compiled our top 10 relationship agreements 
agreements that have been so powerful in supporting the success of our partnership that we even turned them into our wedding vows. These agreements help us stay connected, growing, and thriving as a couple, and they've been critical to help us create a kind of we that's way beyond what we've ever experienced before. You can download this free gift at kristavanderveer.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-A-V-A-N-D-E-R-V-E-E-R.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, it would be so meaningful to us if you left us a rating and review. Not only does it help others find us, but it gives us critical feedback on how we're doing. Thanks in advance. And now back to the episode. Welcome back. Today, we're talking about whether to approach parents or siblings about things that happened when, when we were younger that, you know, had an impact that we're still carrying. And I wanted to share that, you know, I'm in my 50s now, but I wanted to share in my 20s, I, when I was in college, my dad said something to me that pissed me off enough that I didn't want to talk to him again. Obviously, there was a history behind that too, but I made a decision to cut him off and not speak with him. And I think I was maybe 18. I, I remember I was a freshman in college when that happened. And I I iced him out from age 18 or 19 till I must have been about 25, maybe five or six years. So when you decided to not talk to him, did you tell him, hey, I'm not talking to you? Or did you just stop talking to him and ignored his calls and that kind of stuff? My memory is that I said something like, you know, don't call me, I'll call you or something like that. I'm sure I wasn't very mature about how I communicated that to him. Mm -hmm. And then you just never called him? Yep. Until what point? Gosh, it must have been, it must have been later because I was getting out of, I was a fourth year medical student when I reached out to him finally. So I wrote him a letter. I think that was, I guess I must have been 27. So. And what had you decided to reach out? My wife at the time, Suki, I'm really grateful to her for leaning in and really questioning me about what I was going to do with my dad. And that led me to reach out to him, uh, eventually meet him, talk to him. That kind of led to me talking about him in therapy with my first therapist, which led to a series of meetings with him where we would meet somewhere sit down, have breakfast, and I would come with a list of things I wanted to talk about that he said or did that bothered me. And I think he knew that there was a lot that needed to be said there. And, you know, I really honor him for sitting in what must have been a really uncomfortable place for many months. I think it was about a year that we met probably a few dozen times over a year. Literally, you just sat down with breakfast with him and went through your list and he received what you were bringing. That's amazing. Did he give feedback? Did he like say, well, here's why I did that or? Yeah. He got, did he bring excuses? Was he defensive? Um, sometimes. I mean, but he, he hung in there, you know, and the result, you know, after about a year, I remember the day that I walked into some random you know, Denny's or something and sat down and said, I'm, I'm done with the past and I'm ready to, you know, move on with you. Wow. And that was a really powerful moment for both of us. And I remember we both cried in our, <laughs> <laughs> in our plates of 
waffles. Whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. Pancakes or some kind of gluten, probably. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was really powerful, that mm -hmm. whole process for me. It's amazing. I mean, imagine if you didn't do that, where your relationship with him might be today. I wouldn't know anything about him today. Yeah. You know, if if I had continued on that path of not talking with him at all. I think part of the question that comes up for me when we're considering the question of doing cleanups, so to speak, or addressing issues historically or current, is what are we up to with this family member or what are we up to inside of this family of origin? And not that it has to be super explicit and clear with everybody, that what are we up to? But like, I think it is important to ask the question of what am I wanting with this relationship? I agree. I, I think that's a really important place to start is what what's the result you're going after? What's the objective if you're going to consider bringing things up from the past? Yeah, because one perspective could be I just want to, I mean, I, I just want to lay it out on the table and I want this person to receive all of my anger and all of my frustration about how negatively impacted I was about all these different circumstances. Like, I can't believe your dad received, received that. I think that's, it speaks a lot about his character that he was willing to sit down and receive that from you. I'm not saying that you did this well. I, I'm imagining that you did this with a lot of skill and capacity in how you navigate your relationships. But if somebody is just wanting for their parent to understand all the places where they were harmed and negatively impacted. And it's kind of like a retaliation or like, I want to hurt you back kind of perspective versus I actually really want to heal this. I want to be heard. And I also want to have a deeper understanding of this other person's perspective. I think that unless we're, we're doing that, then it could just become a whole pot of drama that is created for everybody. If we're not choosing to create a relationship that's actually for the purposes of healing. Yeah, and there's a version of this, what you're talking about that I think is really important to to grasp is that, you know, there's another, let's say, advancement in human relational technology is the idea that there are multiple realities that people experience. You know, I I experienced X when this thing happened with my parent when I was a kid, they experienced why. Mm -hmm. And then when you go, when you, if you decide to go back and have a conversation about it with your parent, then, you know, the new technology we have today of, look, I was having um, this impact from you and it's probably really different from the intention you had. That's a new technology for us in our generation. And so our parents come from a generation where, the argument is about who's going to join whose reality or whose version of reality, right? And so then if you're bringing a, a concern or a complaint or, you know, something that harmed you when you were a kid, it's important to remember that most people are in a conventional mindset are going to be receiving that information, thinking that you're attacking the story that they remember of, you know, their version of reality. And so I think it's, if you're going to try to have success in these kind of conversations, I think it's so important to set it up properly so you're not going to be arguing about reality with your parent. Exactly. Because that could really go nowhere and not be very fulfilling at all. Absolutely. And it's also not fair and really aggressive toward, you know, their experience mm -hmm. to claim that your experience is what happened and their experience is wrong or totally. not true. Totally. Everyone gets to have their experience of reality. Of course. And then there's the 
fact that memory is creative and that even if events happened in a particular way and both people were in that situation, the way that we create the story and the narrative in our mind could be very different from each other. And I think that's what you're pointing to about the different experiences. 100%. It's, it's a, a really fascinating neuroscience story about how memory is actually not the same memory. Each time you remember it, you change it. Yeah, exactly. Very so, subjective. So, I mean, if we're really just humans relating to other humans and we're trying to, you know, figure this whole life experience out, you know, maybe we can have a little bit of compassion with each other as we navigate conversations that would feel really good to us to have with our family. Um, I think that for me, in having these conversations with you, Will, uh, I'm getting more clear that if there is something in the way of having a more fulfilling experience with my family, then for me, that feels like it's an important issue to bring up, important conversation to have. Back in 2010-ish, when there was a big movement here in Boulder, Colorado, around authentic relating, which is basically building skills and a particular way of relating to each other where we felt like we could have deeper relationships and also honor who we are uniquely and have an avenue to actually express ourselves and hold content that didn't feel very normally very good to talk about and just be with each other in a different way. When that movement came and I was really into it, I started having these conversations with my family about historical events that lived in my system as withholds and wanted to have these conversations with them. And I felt like in general, they were really open to having these conversations with me. I mean, I can think of other families who wouldn't be like, what the heck are you doing? What are you talking about? And why are you revisiting this stuff? But they were really open. And I felt like we did make some progress with some important issues that I wanted to talk about with them. And I think that we do have a, a cultural norm in our family of this more Midwestern kind of like, don't say anything unless it's nice. You know, like we do express emotion, but it's usually only positive emotion with each other, unless there's a really big challenging situation where somebody needs to have some tears or something like that. But I don't know about the range of emotions, how well they're tolerated in my family system. Yeah. I think we could talk for a long time about cultural norms and American culture in general, I think is less expressive emotionally. But I think one of the things that we Americans are famous for is saying, I'm fine, I'm fine. Like, yeah. you know, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm great. Yeah. And we leave out the nuance that, you know, in general, people I've met from other cultures are a little bit more revealed or authentic, I think is mm -hmm. the term you're, you're mm -hmm. connecting with here. And I think one of the reasons for that is there seems to be this weird assumption in America that, or in, you know, for sure my family, and I think maybe most American families where if you're, you're bringing something uncomfortable or you're, you're talking about a negative impact that you experienced, there's a tendency to assume that we're blaming mm -hmm. the other person. And maybe some people are blaming the other person, mm -hmm. you know, that, that probably happens a lot, but what we're talking about here is taking responsibility as opposed to placing that responsibility on our parents and saying, you know, you screwed me over and, therefore my life is limited in all these ways. It's like, no, it's just what we're talking about here is clearing the space so that we can be more relaxed and free and enjoy our family relationships more. If there's something holding us back from doing that, we probably need to name it. Yeah, totally. And if you 
haven't listened to episode 40 yet, there are some tips on how to start the conversation around, you know, if there's been negative impact, either if I've been negatively impacted or if I think I may have impacted somebody else negatively. And part of, I think, the successful conversation is naming up front what the up to of the conversation is. Like, hey, like I, I really want to feel closer to you and I really care about our relationship. So dot, dot, dot. And then are you willing to have a conversation with me about it? Get their consent to actually have the conversation rather than use the barf diet. <laughs> the barf diet is a raw, a raw food diet that I'm studying right now for dogs. But, you know, rather than like barfing all of the stuff out on them, it's like also get their consent to be in the conversation and receive feedback, I think is just so essential. It's so helpful to do that preparation before launching into the thing that happened. And yeah. Can't emphasize that enough. <laughs> it's an expression of care for the relationship, not, you know, I'm here to put you down and make you wrong and walk away feeling like I won and you lost or something like that. Like, what's the point? You know, totally, totally. Absolutely. Well, thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Will, for being such an inspiring relational leader with your father. I think it's so extraordinary what the two of you did together. And for those of you listening, I just want to bring a little bit more of an invitation to consciously look to see what your family culture is like around having conversations, around cleaning things up, about explicitly talking about things. Or do you all tend to skate over things and not talk about stuff? And what are you wanting with your family? And is is what you're doing, is it working? Or is there opportunity for a little bit of a different shift? Absolutely. Yeah, maybe there is room to stretch here and to make more room for yourself in the times that you spend with your family members that you grew up with. Yeah, absolutely. And if you come to any insights, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at kristavanderveer.com. You can email us directly or you can leave a comment on the platform that you listen to your podcast on in the reviews. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. See you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. If you found this content valuable, please follow this show and share it with your partner or other key collaborators. If this show has sparked an interesting conversation based on these topics, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at Art of We Podcast. And we'll see you next time when we explore what it means to be better together, like butter and toast on the Art of We.